0: Hi everyone, welcome back to How to College First Gen, where we have real conversations about what it's like to be a first gen student before, during, and after college. I'm your host, Shiv. For those of you new to the podcast, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the first gen experience, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges first general experience by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. Today, we are joined by Binnie, who is a first gen Indian American and a law student. We dive into her experiences navigating law school as a first gen, her time interning in various law fields, and whether she thinks her journey and her family's investment in law school has been worth it. Hey, Binny, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: Why don't we begin today with a little intro on who you are?
1: Okay, sure. So uh, my name is Benita Patel. I go by Binny, like you said. I also go by Orvi, that's like my professional name. Not many people know it, but I guess anyone who listens to podcasts will know it now. And I am from Dallas, Texas, but I was actually born in Dallas, but I went to school in a really small town called Jacksboro. So I am a country girl at heart, which is hard to believe. Because if you know everything that I've done post high school, I don't look like a country girl. I don't sound like a country girl. But I went to a very small school. And Mm -hmm. after that, Mm -hmm. I moved to Austin to pursue my undergrad at Austin, as you know. And then now I'm in Houston pursuing my legal degree.
0: Awesome. Yeah. How has that changed between small town to the hustle and bustle of UT Austin?
1: Yeah, actually, it's funny. Not many people know that I'm from a small town. So it was honestly a culture shock for me. I went from a school that was about 60 people to a school with like, what, 40,000 students. So it was really hard for me at first. I think my first semester, I struggled a lot trying to adjust to how their teaching is. It's not one-on-one anymore. I loved it. That's why I just like to stick to the city now versus a country.
0: Nice. And then how did you end up picking? taking UT Austin for your undergrad.
1: Yeah, so that's actually a funny story. I'm a second child. I have an older sister and I have a younger brother. And my sister, she wanted to go to UT. She got in, but as you might know, all Indian parents are like, oh, it's my first child. Stay close to me. Don't go so far away. And that was a problem with my sister, and she was so upset. She was just like, she was like, I can't believe mom and dad are making me go to UT Arlington, which is a school in Dallas. And she goes, I want to go to Austin. So just... In spite of that, I was like, I'm going to go to UT Austin. And so that's how I ended up at Austin. And my parents did not question me. They were like, go. And as a middle child, you know, I guess I get that freedom. Yeah, that's how I chose UT Austin in spite of my sister. And she's not going to be happy when she listens to this, but that's okay. I'm glad.
0: And I'm sure your sister is jealous, but I'm glad you're able to enjoy your time in Austin.
1: Yeah, she was. Even at my graduation, she was very jealous. Wait,
0: so what did you end up pursuing during your time at UT? What was your major again?
1: So my major was economics, and I minored in finance. I don't recommend that, especially if you're going to pursue a legal degree after. It's just unnecessary work that probably won't be useful, right, in the legal field. But. If, you know, i was just like i'm gonna do the most practical thing i could it kind of gave my parents a sense of like okay you know if she doesn't go to law school at least she has something to fall back on but i'm a strong believer a degree is not determinative of how well you're going to do and what field you're going to go into but you know it, it just depends on
0: person. Okay. The entire uh, heart of this episode is about your journey to law school. Did you know that you wanted to do that from day one in uh, at UT or how was that discovery of figuring out your passion for law?
1: Yeah. So I actually knew I wanted to go to law school, 10th grade in high school. And I remember sitting down uh, with my, with my dad. So, you know, every Indian parent has like the swings, like the each as you, as you call it. I was just saying that I distinctly remember this. I told my dad, dad, I want to become a lawyer. And it's gonna be very expensive, but I'm telling you now. So, you know, if you need to save up for it, you know in advance. And he was like, What? You wanna become a lawyer? why, right? It's just like, okay. And I think at first he entertained the idea and he was like, sure, go for it. One thing about me is once I set my mind to it, I want to do it. That's not to say I was kind of deterred in my path while I was at UT. People kind of doubting me, telling me maybe you should do something else. But that was kind of when I knew. What led me through law, I couldn't even give you like a pinpoint, like this is when I knew. But I remember at my school, they would have these career fairs where people come in and talk about the profession. And I think for me, I was like, I don't want to be a nurse. I wish I had interest in healthcare and I didn't. But why not go for the highest thing that I can And so I didn't want to be a nurse. And I was like, okay, I can become a doctor. But I didn't have a passion for healthcare. So I was like, okay, what's the flip side to it? And so I fell into uh, law school and legal career. I did mock trial as well in school. So, and like debate team. So that was cool. And that was helpful to see, like, is this some kind of environment I want to be
0: in? Nice. Yeah, I did debate in high school as well. I'm sure some of the audience that's listening in has done debate as well. How well have those skills transferred to your time in law school?
1: Well, in law school... As contrary to popular belief, you don't really learn to argue in law school. You learn to argue once you do extracurricular activities. And so being on like mock trial team in law school or the moot court, that can help. That's where the debate skills come in. But it does kind of help you kind of see where the arguments are coming from when you're reading a case study, maybe, or a case book. It's like, okay, well, this is this argument and this is the other side. So I think that's where some of the skills came in. But I think once you're put into law school, that's when you really learn, okay, this is what what are important facts, these are what are not important.
0: Okay, it makes sense. And I'm sure there's some level of being able to analyze and research that you were able to, to build on as well.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Cool, cool, cool. So right now you're in law school, correct? Mm-hmm. What year are you in?
1: So I just finished my second year. We're called 2Ls and I'm going into my third year, which is my final year. So I am officially a third year law student.
0: Congrats. Exciting. Thank
1: you. Yeah, it's very exciting.
0: I guess looking forward, what does it look like now that your third year is starting? Does recruitment start in the fall or what's your next step?
1: Yeah, so in law school, it's a little different. Your second year is when you're supposed to be looking for jobs and get a 2L summer associate program. And usually your 2L summer defines where you're going to end up. It could define actually where you're going to end up post-grad. And so my internships that I have lined up for this summer, they're going to, you know, if they like the work that I do, they may offer me a full-time position. So that's where the recruiting really happens. It's not rare for recruiting to happen your third year as well. And so I'm a firm believer. I don't want to close myself off to just one firm. So maybe if I really like this firm and I go into my third year, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what if I like another firm? So you can still recruit during your third year, but usually third year, you already have your full-time position locked in and you're just focused on finishing school off and taking the bar.
0: Okay. Well, what sector of law is your internship and the company fall under?
1: The best thing about being a lawyer is you can pretty much do anything you want. It's a very flexible career path that you can have, which is you don't really see that because you're like, okay, if I'm a lawyer, there's only a certain amount of things I can do, but you can do anything you want. And me personally, I want to go into the corporate law. And so I want to do real estate M&A transactions. I do have an interest in criminal law and maybe criminal defense. And so I might pursue that pro bono, which pro bono for the listeners who don't know what that means is just free legal services for people who just can't afford an attorney. And I might do pro bono for maybe people in our culture and who don't have access to legal fields, maybe in, like maybe in different countries or something like that. But for me personally, I want to do real estate and M and A, which is the business side of it.
0: Okay. And I'm glad you're already considering how you're going to use your degree to do good and do pro bono work. Very humbling to see. Yeah,
1: no, I think that's really important.
0: Cool. Uh, so I guess to dive into those different sectors of law or different subfields within uh, law that you can go into, you mentioned M&A, corporate, you mentioned uh, there's tax, you mentioned criminal. What are some of the big buckets that people think about as they're breaking down what career they want?
1: You have litigation. So one side you have litigation, the other side you have transaction. Transaction is more so your corporate, your M&A, your real estate. All those contractual claims, that's under transaction. Litigation is going to have your criminal. You'll have maybe your employment, bankruptcy, constitutional, family, immigration, IP, which is intellectual property, personal injury, tax could fall into both brackets. So that's where you have it.
0: Okay. And generally people figure out what side of that they want to be on during 2L, by 2L or...
1: Yeah, yeah. So I went in knowing that I wanted to be on the transactional side just coming into law school. But usually you figure that out your first year, and they recommend you know by your second year. So you can start looking for those jobs that, you know, fit what you want to go into. So, yeah.
0: Nice, awesome. Is there a pretty even split between people that do all the types?
1: No, actually, you can do both. I know a lot of attorneys that do litigation and transactional. It's not to say that, you know, if I get a job where they are like, well, we would like for you to do this commercial litigation, I might have to step up and go to trial for that. So uh, there isn't an even split. I think you see a lot of people go from transactional litigation and then come back around to transactional once they're kind of tired of the court and they just want to be like, all right, I just want to sit behind the desk now.
0: Makes sense. All right. So back before you applied to law school, you mentioned that you knew since high school slash during your time at university. Did you consider any other career paths as well? I know law school can be really tedious because you have to go for like an additional three years and there's more debt that's involved. Did you consider tangential career paths?
1: Yeah. So um, I actually had my heart set on possible, as you know and as I said. However, I did kind of consider healthcare administration, and the only reason I consider that was my sister. She, she you know, she was like, you know, if law school isn't what you want to do, there's other paths that you could do. And so I looked into that, also any kind of like consulting job, which I think is everyone's like good fallback, especially if you have like a business degree. It's like, okay, consulting, I can always do that. But honestly, my heart was always with law school, and I did take a year and a half off post graduating my undergrad to kind of figure that out. And I felt uh, there was a lot of doubt, especially coming from you know our parents who are like, are you sure you still want to do this? Because, you know, Indian parents, especially they're like, oh, if you take a break from school, you're not going back." And I don't necessarily agree with that. And so I think part of me was like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to take my LSAT and I'm going to get into law school.
0: Did you end up taking a, a gap in between university and law school?
1: Yes, I did. So I took about a year and a half off. And so in that time, I took my LSAT, which is the that you have to take prior to getting to law school. It requires a lot of studying and just preparing. I would recommend preparing about honestly six months. I would say you would need max. Minimum, I would recommend three. Anything less than that, I would say you're gonna have to retake. And that's just me being realistic about it. And speaking from my own personal experience, I thought I could study in a month and, you know, get the best LSAT, you know, score ever. The range is 180, which is the highest, and 120 is the lowest. You want to get hit about 160, especially if you want to get into a school where you'll have good job prospects when you graduate. And so Mm -hmm. I took my LSAT twice, and I have no shame in saying that because the first one, you know, I had unrealistic dreams that, oh, I'm going to get the best score ever. And then I really sat myself down for about four months studied, and I was able to get well above 160.
0: I'm glad to hear, yeah, and I think that's a very humbling message to know that. it takes the hard work and persistence to actually achieve those goals. I'm glad to hear. So you mentioned there's different fields within law that you can go into, but some of the audience members may not be familiar with like what that work kind of looks like. So given that you've worked with lawyers like so far in your time and you're going to enter in the summer, could you kind of break down what like a job as a lawyer looks like from work life balance to like day to day, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so um, I'll break it down into like I'll do a twofold answer. One would be transaction, the other litigation. So, so starting with transactional, usually, you know, you would come into the office anytime. And I worked for an immigration lawyer who was kind of, he was on more of the transactional side. And he would come in and honestly, this is going to be very surprising, maybe to some people, but he would just review documents and sign off on it and he could do his due diligence by making sure everything is correct, but nine out of ten times it's a paralegal who is basically a secretary who's doing all the grunt. and he's just reviewing it, and he's taking client calls, talking to clients, reassuring them that, you know, their case is up to speed, we're doing everything we can, and that's the life of a transactional attorney as far as I know what I've seen. That might change right after the summer, and you know, if you were, if you would have me back, I would love to share that experience with you as well, but that's what I've seen as transactional attorneys, that's what they do, and it's more so like reviewing documents and just talking to your clients letting them know what's an update on their case litigation is a lot different I worked for a litigation attorney as well she was a managing attorney and their life is more of like a hustle and bustle they get into the office anytime but as soon as they're on they have their trial documents they go to court they argue their case, they come back. Same thing, next case, same thing. So they might not spend as much time in the office as a transactional attorney. So I think it depends on if you want to be a desk job or if you want more you know, walking around into courthouses and moving around and talking to clients, seeing them face to face. So that's kind of how the differences are. But work life balance, you asked about that, and I think that's very important. Um, I'm glad you asked that because any lawyers you see, you always see them burnt out working long hours, and it's true. If you work in big law, which is those, you know, AM 100. 500 law firms that you see, those are huge law firms and you may have to bill 90 hours a week. That's a lot of hours to bill. And so I think the ultimate way for you to get that work-life balance is just making like a non-negotiable commitment to yourself that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this break. It's easier said than done. And as a law student, I don't know if I have that much confidence yet telling my partner, I'm going to take you know two hours off. It's me time, but we'll
0: see. Yeah. Well, I hope you can eventually build up to the point where you can have good work-life balance
1: Yeah, same Same year.
0: Do careers generally shift over time? Whenever you're 20 years plus experience as a lawyer, do people fall into different types of roles that have different work-life balances?
1: Yeah, so I think it just depends on which firm you go into. But usually you come in as a first-year associate, which is your first year. Then you'll just become a normal associate, which is a second, third year, fourth year, and up to fifth year. And then generally, sometimes you turn into an associate to an attorney. So your names can change, and it's just like a hierarchy of how much experience you've had with the firm and how long you've worked post grad. And then after that, you could have an opportunity to become partner. And then after that, there's always managing partner and so on. Right. And after once you're a managing partner, that's kind of the tier level, and you know you can always do become a shareholder and whatnot with a firm.
0: Is it common for people? I know a consulting company is common to like after a couple years of experience. Bounce out to different F500 companies into corporate strategy roles. Is it similar for law where you get some experience in a law firm and then you go into an F500 company in their legal team?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So usually lawyers will spend about five to 10 years with a law firm and then they will move on to, like you said, a corporate company and become their general counsel. And that's easier to achieve work life balance, right? You're only receiving that company's work and that's it. I think a lot of attorneys dream goal, but it's also hard to reach because there's only so many jobs you can have, opportunities, and there's there's many attorneys. And so it depends on your networking, connections, and experience for sure.
0: Yeah. So speaking of networking and like competitiveness of various roles, how does that work in law? I know in the engineering world, I've been able to like DM random people on LinkedIn and build connections at various firms. Is it similar in law or how are you building those relationships? Yeah.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up because that is networking is a heart of being aware. What my dean and my school told us is that your reputation precedes you. And so your reputation starts the day you're admitted to law school. So you know, watch what you put on social media, watch what you say. And I think that's really important because when you start building these connections, that's how your jobs are going to come to you. And that's how I got my two internships as well is because I reached out to other attorneys at those companies and in the law firm and they were able to push my resume up to HR. And so I think it's really important that, you know, we attend as many networking events as you can. And my law school has been pretty good with providing those opportunities for us. And I also live in Houston. And so Houston is considered a legal hub for sure. And especially in downtown. So there's always uh, Houston Young Lawyers Association association. We're always hosting networking events where you can come in, meet other attorneys. And I think that's really important. Like you said, LinkedIn, I've done that many times. No shame because either they'll respond or or they don't. You have nothing to lose. And so I respect that you did that because I did exactly the same thing. And I've heard many no's before I heard any yeses, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. I'm glad to hear that support of pushing through the nose to get to that yes. It only takes one forward or one positive response to to carry on the next career opportunity. Cool. Okay. So the second half of this podcast is going to be focused on your journey in law school. You mentioned you're a 2L, becoming a 3L, or now a 3L. So let's talk about the journey to law. You mentioned you took the LSAT. What are things that a current undergraduate student should think about as they go through undergrad to prepare for law school? Yeah,
1: so considering that this is a first-generation podcast, I wish... I knew what I'm going to tell you now. So when you're in your undergrad in college, I would say your grades are very important. And everyone always knows that. But in undergrad, it's really easy to kind of be skewed another way, right? There's always social events. You're socially stimulated. But really, make sure your grades are top-notch and speak to other attorneys that you know are in the field that you may want to go into potentially, because they'll be honest with you that this is the work that you have to do. And I would say if you can snag an internship in a law firm. It's always cool when you see like undergrads saying like, hey, I'm here. Like honestly, law students look up to them, like, oh, wow, I wish I did that. And uh, just to have, add something else onto your resume, because that's what I did post to college, obviously. And my interviewers, they're always asking me about my experiences there. And they're like, oh, well, you have this experience, Like, your resume looks great, right? So. I think that's something that I would recommend any kind of undergrad student to do that. Also, studying for the LSAT, it's not easy. And I would say if you want to go straight into law school after your undergrad, start studying your junior year and then start the application process your senior year. And those two years will be the worst two years you have ever spent in undergrad. But I mean, I think it's worth it. I think every sacrifice has a reward and it's a very small sacrifice you may have to make for a really big reward. And that's what I always tell myself in law school. Um, And so I think, those are things that I wish people told me going in. And I, I wasn't told that, right? As a first-generation student, I don't have anyone in my family that's an attorney. I met all my connections post grad So yeah, really just hone in on your grades and study for that also. Get the highest score you can. It's a numbers game.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, sounds good. And that's solid advice for first-gens. And speaking of, like you mentioned, a lot of first gens like yourself don't have those established relationships with law firms. How do you suggest like a freshman undergrad go about and like meet lawyers in the wild? Like what's the easiest way to build that first connection?
1: So I honestly just started looking up law firms on Google. And usually their attorneys have their email, and their phone number listed all underneath their names. And so I, would, I emailed a few attorneys and I'm like, okay, maybe this is a law firm I'm gonna work for. Sometimes they will respond, sometimes they don't, right? Attorneys get a lot of emails. And then I called their HR. And by calling the HR department, they were able to connect me to an attorney that maybe might can help me get an opportunity or a job there. Uh, my very first one was at Patel Law Group. No affiliation whatsoever. I did not know them. But I remember I talked to another law student, and he was like, I interned there. You should intern as well. Give me your resume. I'll send it over. They interviewed me. They were very skeptical, to say the least. They were like, she has no idea what she's getting herself into. But they still offered me an internship. And I respect them for giving that internship because I came in knowing that absolutely nothing. But I learned a lot through that internship and was like, okay, this is the field. So um, that's how that's how it was. Connecting to law students are the easiest, I believe, instead of attorneys because yes, we're busy, but we've been there and it's very recent. So I reached out to a law
0: student. Yeah, that makes sense. Law students have been in your shoes recently, so it's easier to have that empathy and help forward you along. And I'm glad that law firm was able to take a bet on you and help support you with an internship. I'm sure you learned more that way.
1: I know I did. I did.
0: Fantastic. Okay. And then now that you're in law school, what's been some of the most uh, surprising things that you've learned in the process in your first two years?
1: Surprising thing? Would you equate surprising to challenging?
0: Sure. Yeah. Anything that, that was uh, more difficult than you expected or very interesting that you didn't expect to experience?
1: So my answer, again, is going to be twofold. I will tell you academically what was really challenging. It's, it's a lot of insane amount of reading. It would take me about six hours just to read 30 pages, and you're like what seriously but it's because you have to brief it because you're gonna get cold called on and you will probably embarrass yourself in front of the entire class and the cold call is a professor just looks at the roster and is like you speak tell me about this case what are the arguments do you agree with it every little minute detail some professors will make you stand up some don't so they'll take pity on you be like no just sit down it's fine but that's the whole process of being in law school and so that anxiety is always there I, my first semester, of course, me being me, I got called on the very first day, was not prepared, and did not know what to expect, made a fool out of myself, and I was like, uh, I don't know. I mean, now it's, it's gotten a lot easier, now I just expect it, but I think academically, that was the hardest part for me to kind of wrap my head around, where the readings are very dense, and the amount of work that it entails is academically personally as i mentioned before every sacrifice has a reward and the biggest sacrifice i had to make was my social and by that i came from ut i was very socially stimulated always surrounded by friends we always had things going on on weekends i had to cut that off because in law school your grades really matter and i told myself i want to graduate with honors or anything i'm gonna have to make some sacrifices and that was my social aspect i'm sure if any of my friends are listening to this they are gonna tell you that yeah they haven't seen me in like two years and it's true and I do that on purpose. You don't have to, but I chose to do that. And I think I'm better off that way. I, my grades it. and I think I'm more confident as a law student that, you know, I've done all that I can. Because you don't want to look back and be like, oh, wow, I wish I didn't do that, right? Because then you only get one chance at this, and this is your career.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I'm glad you're able to, to make that sacrifice with the long term in mind. Very mature thought.
1: Yeah, and also to add on to that, parents, as a first-generation student, they don't understand that, oh, she has to read all the time. So it was really hard for my parents to understand that, especially my first semester, especially during finals time comes around. I take a month off just to study for my finals. And I, I kid you not, I don't talk to anyone. I limit social media. I delete all my social media. And that's all I do. And my parents were like, why are you always studying? What are you always doing? How much reading do you have to do? And so it was hard for them to understand. Now they just don't bother me. <laughs> They'll call me, but they're like, oh, she'll call me when she's free. And so I would like to you know, give that respect to my parents, too, because not all parents understand that. But mine have been pretty understanding with that as
0: well. I'm glad that you've been able to get their support through your time in law school. But speaking of your time in law school, what's been some of the most rewarding parts of your time there?
1: So in law school, I am currently on Law Review, which is a prestigious journal that all schools have. And you have an opportunity to be, uh, publish your work. To do. So right now I am writing about ESG, which is Environmental Social and Governance and investment in companies and how that's affecting um, companies in general and how the legal aspect comes into it. So if it's published, I would more than happy share that with you so you can take a read on it. And so that's what law review is. I recommend anyone who wants to um, be able to creative with their work join law review your dean tells you on the first day join law review job prospects they love that interviewers they look at oh she's on law review great you'll next round that's just how law school works i hate the legal market but that's just how it works but so if anything join law review if you can i had to do a write-on process and those two weeks most very grueling but i was glad that i was able to uh they liked my paper and they accepted me another thing that's been rewarding is mock trial and Moot Court, I would recommend any law student who wants to go into trial or litigation to join. Me. It's great hands-on experience. Law school doesn't teach you how to be a lawyer, but these experiences do teach you how to be a lawyer, how to argue with a attorney. And so I would say those are very rewarding aspects of my law school journey so far. And I'm also in real estate organization, just trying to join things that I'm interested in, first-generation students. We have a first-generation students org at my school, which is cool. And so, join everything you can because you meet people who think like you do, and it just makes it an easier process.
0: I'm glad you're able to make that sense of community. Yeah. Two questions based on that. You mentioned the first gen organization. I'm going to ask a question on that second. But first, you mentioned the ESG you're working on. I know there's a recent SEC filing. On uh, on the environmental aspect of that, is that something that you're that you're working on or involved with?
1: Yeah, so being a law review, you can pick any topic. I chose ESG because it's a very hot topic right now. But also, I think we should all be very en- environmental friendly, as it is. You know, if we want to stay keep this world as it is, and so the SEC has introduced a filing for that and have said, you know, they want to make it mandatory. But there are implications to that. Implications, meaning litigations, it can be false advertising that can happen as well for false, false marketing. And so that's something to take into consideration. I don't believe they have made it a requirement yet for companies to disclose their ESG filings. Correct me if I'm wrong, but last time I read the article about it, they haven't made it a requirement
0: yet. Correct, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. Yeah.
1: And I, I know you do follow it because I do see you liking things about ESG on LinkedIn.
0: It goes to show how, how helpful LinkedIn is.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And so I usually look at the articles that you usually like. So it kind of helps form my arguments that I'm trying to make in my paper. But UK has made it a requirement. So, you know, I see that us, like in America, we're trying to, I guess, mimic that and see if that'll work here. But there are legal implications to that. So that's what I'm writing about. Seeing if, you know, companies, yeah, the mission statement may not be to be environmental friendly. You can't force oil companies to do that. And you could, but it's going to go against a mission statement. So there's going to be litigation and backlash
0: on it. I was going to say, yeah, like I used to work for ExxonMobil and mm-hmm. there's been an interesting, uh, I'm sure some of the listeners may be aware of the engine number no. one social impact investor board member change vote that happened last year. Yeah. A quick 30 seconds nutshell is uh, ExxonMobil had, had a vote on their board of directors and engine number no. one as minority investor was able to jest and change some of the, the folks on the board which is a big thing to do, um, which shows how, how prevalent ESG is in in folks' conversations these days. So I'm glad that's your priority, being on the cutting edge of this.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that. CEOs are basically making a requirement to talk about ESG now. You know, Companies can follow the guidelines with that. So- and make sure they're disclosing accurate information. Because any kind of slip-up, it's going to cause a backlash or litigation. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot you worked at Exxon, but that's a really good perspective to have.
0: All right, well, cool. So uh, moving on to the million-dollar question, which is the the financing of law school. You mentioned in the very beginning, you uh, sat down with your dad and explained the, the timeline and the cost associated with it, which is no small number. Let's kind of break that down together. How did you end up financing your education?
1: I was lucky enough that my dad was able to pay for it, so he currently finances my education. However, in choosing a school, I was very cognizant of what schools are offering me scholarships and what their price points may be. And so there's some schools that obviously call their tuition is a lot higher than what I pay currently. But I have a lot of friends, and I know a lot of law students who do take loans out to finance their education. But currently my dad is financing my education. It's not easy at all. And so one thing I always tell myself that, you know, mom and dad are doing this for me, everything I do is for them. And I wanna make it worth it and worthwhile. That speaks for a lot of first generation students that we come from that work ethic, that background that kind of sets us apart from a lot of other students, right? Because we know the struggles that our parents were through and we want to just pay it for I would say, as a law student or as a prospective law student, be very cognizant as how much law school is gonna be. Because once you know you're done with your education, interest starts building up. And I still know professors to this day who talk about how they're still paying off their law student loan. They've you know they've been practicing for 20 years. And so you can just see how, you know, how much that's affected
0: their career yeah you mentioned different schools have different tuition rates what does that look like from public versus private or like what does the range generally look like just to give an expectation to the audience
1: yeah so i go to a private school right now if i can remember it's 17 about 17 to eighteen thousand a semester and so i know public schools they can range higher than that but i would say i think ut uh, for example i think they're just right at it maybe a few thousand dollars more but usually private schools have more flexibility as to how much they want to charge compared to public, obviously. But SMU, for example, they charge a lot more. They charge double what, I, what I'm what i paying. So their semester payments are like 34000 a semester.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I'm surprised there's such a wide range in law school tuition, but I'm glad that you're cognizant of it. I and mean, I can see how debt can pile up super fast depending on which law school you, you attend.
1: And I think it also goes with what your job prospects are after graduate. And usually, you know, you're not going to get that big bucks, 200K a year job right out of law school. There's only a small amount that they give out. And so that's big law. And big law is not for everyone, right? Because you have big law, you have middle, mid-size, and you have boutique. And in boutique, you're not going to get paid that, but you're going to do just as much work. So it just depends.
0: That makes sense. And I'm sure it also forces folks into roles just to pay down the debt as opposed to what what they may be more passionate about.
1: I don't want to make this about you know, how I think student loans should be wiped clean. Of course, I'm an advocate for that as a student. Why not? But I know realistically that might not be economically Feasible at all, but no, I I definitely agree with you. People are going to take roles that maybe they don't want just to pay down their debt, and that kind of defeats the purpose of being passionate, you know, about your job.
0: Okay, and then noticing how much you've had to, to take on of the family to afford your law school and sacrifice. Do you think your time thus far has been worth it? I know you're still in the midst of the jungle, but just so far, what do you think?
1: I think so. It's been a many sacrifices that my like my parents have had to make, right? And I I see it. My sister, she also went did her. She did a graduate degree as well she's in the dental field like the hi- dental hygiene field and so for me I knew the undertaking that my parents had to take so I think it's been worth it but I think it's been worth it because I've made sure that's and I make sure I get the grades I make sure I get the internships because if I didn't I think I'd be wasting my parents money and I think that's the last thing I would I, that would break my heart more than anything sometimes when I don't have the motivation to keep going I think about them and I'm like all right you, you have to keep going and so and they're very proud they're so proud
0: but I'm sure it's it's stressful to know that your education and your experience has to live up to a certain bar just to make sure that you're making the most of it. But I'm glad you're cognizant of that. So looking back, I know it's only been two years, but if you had to do it all again, would you do anything differently?
1: I would. I think I would do my undergrad differently. I might have chosen a different major. I always went to like communications. Maybe it would help with my dialect a little bit more, how to communicate, how to read people. That's really important a skill to have as a lawyer is to know what the other side's kind of thinking before they say it. And so I was thinking maybe that and more so I think I wish I got more involved in school. Uh, so at UT, there was no kind of pre-law major at all, but I wish I, did. I was involved more in like government aspect of it, something to do with the legal field. I could just have that experience going into law school. And I also wish i talked to more attorneys and law students prior to studying for my LSAT and then prior to going to law school. After my LSAT, I did talk to a few attorneys, but I wish I reached out more. And so any listener who is interested in the legal field, I think they should definitely reach out to law students, if anything, or attorneys, and talk to them. I I think they give the best advice. Lawyers love talking about themselves. So do law students. You can talk to them. They'll talk to you about themselves all the time. But I I would love to pay anything I know forward, right? So especially my studying skills. Maybe they can hone in on it and they can fix it. But I would not want to do 1L or 2L over again but leading up
0: to it, of course. That makes sense. I had forgotten to ask you, was your time with the first-gen law organization at your law school? Mm-hmm. How has that been? How was having that sense of community of people that are able to empathize with your situation, and how has that experience been?
1: No, that's actually been great. It started when I became a 1L. I think it started the year before, so it was just another first-generation law student who started it, and it's been great because you just meet people who are going through the same thing as you do and we don't have that leg as maybe someone who has a dad who's an attorney or you know someone in their family so as a first-generation student you need to take any advantage that you can get to get that leg up as well and i think being in a small cohort of people i it, it helps to know you're not alone there's something called imposter syndrome that comes in in law school where you don't think you're good enough you're always doubting everything, and I think it's always good to have a community that's like reassuring you, like you're not in this journey. It's not an, an easy journey at all. It's intellectually and personally demanding, and so it's really good to have that community just be there. You can relate, right? Like misery loves company. You know, everyone's miserable together. <laughs> but yeah, so.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're able to have that sense of belonging. I think it's very easy to feel like like you're on an island all by yourself in this field of people that are like generational lawyers. But yeah, but speaking of, I recently went to Admit Weekend for my business school in Boston. And there's a whole bunch of student organizations all over the place. And I I hear about trips people take to yacht weeks in Croatia or ski trips in Colorado. And I'm like, man, I didn't grow up doing any of this. So it's very not relatable. And then one of the clubs was called the First Gen and Low Income Club for people like us that aren't generational MBAs, aren't aren't generational uh, college grads. And it's really nice to have that feeling of belonging, knowing that you there are other people going through the same situation, learning the same things. And that sense of community, I think, is uh, unique. So I'm glad you're able to take a part of it.
1: No, I completely agree with you. And I think it's like an inspiration to the next generation. Like I have a younger brother, you know, he goes, you're inspiring to me, like you work so hard and I want to do that too. And so I think we kind of negate that hurdle that there may be for the younger generation to be like, you can achieve it as well. And same to your getting your MBA and it's not easy. It's not an easy trek at all. So I commend anyone who's a 1st generation student going into this because we're kind of going into it blind and we're just navigating the waters and hoping, you know, we come out better for it, which I think we will. I think we will. I have faith in us.
0: I'm glad to hear that optimism. Cool. So it sounds like the question of the day is, has your time in law school been worth it? And do you think the journey through law is worth it? And it sounds like your answer is a resounding yes. <laughs>
1: Yes, I think it, it's a learned profession, right? And so it requires a lot of effort to do well. And if you do well, then you're going to be the best of the best. And as I said before, your reputation precedes you. And I think a great example is I'm sure you're following it as well the Johnny Depp trial. The attorney, Ms. Vasquez, she just, her cross examination was beautiful. And if you were to ask her, is she a first generation student, law student, she may be. But people are inspired by looking at that. Now she's the best of the best. And so now her reputation precedes her. And I think that's something that you can take with this profession as well. That if you do the work and you do well, there's just clients are just going to come to you and you're going to be a really good attorney. But it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to do well.
0: That's very inspirational.
1: I watched that trial, and I was like, this is amazing. That was the best cross-up scene. It was great to see a woman up there, too, right? Like, First-generation students are a minority. We're the hidden minority, but also being a woman in a first-generation is just that double minority, so it's great to see.
0: I'm glad to hear, yeah. And one day, I hope to turn on the TV and see you doing the same thing. No,
1: oh, thank you. That makes me feel good.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you again for taking your time and sharing your your tips and resources with the audience here. Yeah,
1: no, thank you, Shimon, for having me today. I think what you have going on is really great, and the first time I saw you, know, you guys doing this, I saw an Instagram. I believe I texted you saying this is amazing. So thank you for having me today. I I feel honored that you wanted me to speak to all your listeners.
0: Awesome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again,
1: Vinny. Thank you.